Thank you, Sandra. I sense um, I sense there's, there's probably a, a few of us that hear those words from the psalm and actually are confronted by, I can relate. <laughs> you know, it's that deep, deep groan in David for God change these circumstances. And it's what's echoed in Jesus on the cross. Jesus, when he hangs on the cross, he quotes this psalm. And so something that Jesus does on the cross enables that which we feel from the psalm to find a way through and a way out of that suffering, a way to hope. I don't know for some of you this morning, that's, that's a word that you need to hear. And so I kind of just wanted to preface it with that, that God is here with you today and he loves you so much and he feels the pain in your heart and he wants to meet you in that. So I want to pray as we move into this time. Lord, we, um, it can be so frequent that we feel so fragile or vulnerable in this world. And there are people here today, people who you love so passionately and so deeply, who are just, just struggling under the weight of things. And I pray, Lord, that they would find you today. They would find your hope. They would find your strength and they would find a way forward. And we thank you for what you did on the cross and we thank you for what you're about to teach us today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Nothing like competing with the, uh, the Harleys and the cars on James Street. So last week, I was sitting down here just before the service and Zari, who's nine now, she's grown up so quick, Zari comes up to me and she says to me, she goes, Dad, will you be sharing any stories this morning? To which I said, of course, when I preach, I use stories. She goes, what are the stories about, Dad? I said, oh, that's a very intellectual question. I'm up for this. I said, the story I'm sharing this morning is about a guy called Brent John, who's had something really hard and horrible done to him, and he found the power to forgive, thinking it was going to change my daughter's life. And she says, no, 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 Dad, no, no, no. Uh, what stories are you going to share about me and Hamish? I said, I'm not going to share any stories about you guys today. She looked very disgruntled, like I just upset her. She's like, how dare you? Then she had this moment to pause. She said, are you going to be sharing any stories next week about me, Dad? To which I said, I have no idea. Sorry, no idea at all. Now, it turns out she was correct because this is the story about her from last week. And she she looked and she kind of, I'm not sure if that's a satisfactory answer, Dad, as she, she walked away. And I realized she is from the school where all publicity is good publicity. It doesn't matter what story I tell about you, she is just thrilled that she is in a sermon. What she was ultimately asking was, have my interactions with you in the past, are they able to help offer something to people's spiritual future? She would never articulate it that way, but that's what's bubbling around in her head. That's what Psalm 69 does. It, it's speaking to us using David's struggle, using the angst in his life and his heart and the, the, the grind of it all. And it firstly enables David to put word to what he's feeling. They are God's words that God gives to David, and David goes, yes, that is what I'm feeling right now. That is why I feel there's no hope. 
And God is, is saying in these words, you will find hope. You will find something that will enable you to move out of it. You are led through this psalm out of into strength and hope. And secondly, this psalm is a picture of the Messiah. The words that we're going to look at today that Jesus spoke from the cross come from the 69th psalm. Jesus actually quotes this psalm as he hangs on the cross. It's from verse 21. They put gall in my food and they gave me vinegar for my thirst. And so for David, as he reads, reads this, as he reflects on this, as he writes this, as he creates, as it pours out of him, he recognizes that one day God will come in such a fashion that will cancel that, heal, that, that struggle, will, will alleviate him and free him from it so dramatically that it will be restoration and not desperation, which is in part why Jesus refers to it. In John 19, 28, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. When Jesus, hanging on a cross, utters the words, I am thirsty, he is calling all of his followers, all of the Jews there, to think back to those words that were uttered in the 69th Psalm. And what Jesus is saying to them is, there used to be no hope, but I am that hope. What I am doing for you now is fulfilled. It is different now. The end is different. And so we're looking at these seven statements. This is the second one we've chosen. I am thirsty. The statements that Jesus said as he hung on the cross. And today we're going to do that in conjunction with the transformation trek. Everyone should have got one of these when they came in. If you didn't, make sure you pick it up on the way out. Lent and letting go. The transformation track is about learning the practices of Jesus so we can live the way Jesus lived. It's familiarizing ourselves and aligning ourselves with Jesus' life. And this month is Lent and letting go. Fasting or abstinence? Who's excited? Good. I'm glad some of you are. Good. So what we're going to learn. It's what we're going to lean into. Fasting and abstinence, Lent and letting go. I am thirsty. So what's behind Jesus' words? And why does John write them down at all? They seem quite obvious, don't they? Jesus has been hanging on a cross in the Middle Eastern heat after being tortured within an inch of his life. After six hours, of course, he's going to say, I'm thirsty. Absolute core human behavior. But here's what's fascinating. We have four accounts of what Jesus said on the cross. Four individuals and groups of thought who saw what happened and reflected on it. And John is the only one who records this. Why is it important for John? What's going on for John that he writes later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled? Jesus said, I am thirsty What's going on for John? You see, John, the Messiah, is on the cross. His best friend, his saviour, is taking his last breaths. And as Jesus says, I am thirsty, John's mind is triggered. It's triggered to a, a bunch of other 
encounters he's had with Jesus. See, this isn't the first time Jesus has spoken in the book of John about thirst. John would have recalled when Jesus decided to take a beeline to get to where he went, wanted to get to, and he took his disciples through the enemy nation of Samaria. If you were a Jew, you had nothing to do with a Samaritan. They were bad news, and Samaritans were from Samaria. But Jesus knows a shortcut. So he takes the boys on a shortcut, and halfway through, it's a hot day, so he gets to a well. And at the well is a woman. The woman is a Samaritan woman, and Jesus says, can I have a drink? The Samaritan woman says, you have nothing to draw water from this well. And then a very interesting conversation ensues. The Samaritan woman said to him, this is from John, still in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 9. You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Basically, do you not realize the cultural rules in play here? You cannot ask me for a drink. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, yeah, yeah, you would have not asked that. And he would have given you living water. He would have quenched your thirst Sir, the woman said, where can you get this living water from? That sounds like exactly what I need. Where do I find it, she asked Jesus. See, Jesus, Jesus crosses racial and geographic and social and gender divides to quench the thirst of a sworn enemy of God's people. That's amazing. Absolutely astounding. So when Jesus is on the cross and he says, I'm thirsty, John would have thought back to where Jesus offered to quench the thirst of an enemy of God, a Samaritan woman. John captures Jesus' words of thirst for every enemy of God to hear one thing, to convince them of what Jesus was truly about, that Jesus was pouring himself out completely and utterly of the living water that was in him for the people that presumed they were enemies of God. For the Samaritans, they weren't enemies of God, but they were made to feel like they were enemies of God. And Jesus' act of I'm thirsty is to say, I have poured out my living water for even my enemies, for everybody, my enemies are welcome to drink from the living water. You see, people position themselves as enemies of God. God does not want enemies or encourage enemies or set people apart from him as enemies. If anyone ever feels they are an enemy of God, it's because of the position that they've taken up, not the position that God has forced them to encounter. And a long time ago, a long, long time ago, I was in church and a guy came into church and he spent the service. And then on the way out, I bumped into him. I said, oh, how was that for you? And he said, I cannot believe that the church did not fall down or I did not burst into flames. I said, that would have looked spectacular, wouldn't it? Why would you think that? He says, because the amount of stuff I've done wrong, 
I can't believe God would allow me to walk into this place. I said, you probably feel like you're miles away from God, right? Like there's a big distance between you and God because of all the wrong you've done. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I said, here's the good news. You're as close as any of the rest of us to God, to accessing God. You see, you're looking at the amount of bad stuff. God doesn't look at that. God looks at your status. Are you sinned or are you saved? And it's not like there are enemies. There are people that God wants to save from their sin and bring over here. I said, from your perspective, it's massive. From God's perspective, he doesn't look he doesn't even see that. He just sees sin and the rebellion and says, would, would you like the living water? Would you like me? Do you, do you want me? And said, God doesn't hate you. God is not your enemy. He loves you more than you will ever be able to comprehend. You see, the guy had demonized himself in the eyes of God. And yet Jesus says, you're my friend. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. When Jesus proclaimed his thirst, he was proclaiming that he had been utterly and completely poured out for everyone, even his enemies, even the people that we would say, they don't deserve it. And Jesus would say, none of you deserve it. And I've poured myself out completely and utterly to the point that I am so thirsty, so thirsty. The source he offered people, which was named by John as living water. What a beautiful way to say it, John. It's been poured out for all humankind on the cross. And so his utterance of thirst is, look what I've poured out for you. Surely that's enough to convince all of you of my love for you. And perhaps this morning you've come in here and you've, you've been caught up in thoughts of that, that God doesn't like you or he's not happy with you or he hates you or he has some negative feeling towards you. You've somehow deemed his enemy. The cross is the evidence of the opposite. When God looks to you, he looks madly in love with you and says, I will do anything to save you, anything. I'll prove it. And he, he embraced the cross. His entire ministry was about turning enemies into friends. And so as John hears these words, I am thirsty, his thinking would have been also taken to another story that he writes about earlier, where, where Jesus spoke about thirst again. It was during a major Jewish festival. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the final day, Jesus goes into the synagogue as he'd been doing and gathered there were, were people that were Jews. So they were Jesus' kind of people. And he's preaching to them and he's teaching them and he's healing them. And they're all having a ball. They're loving what's going on. But the Jewish leaders are standing to the side and they're very upset with Jesus. They're angry and about a whole host of things. And so they're plotting to get him arrested. And it says in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. On hearing his words, people said, surely this man is a prophet. And others said, surely he is the Messiah. 
Jesus said to his audience, who were Jewish people, they loved the law, they obeyed the law, they cherished the law, they were the most committed to following the law because they were in the synagogue. He says to them, let any of you who are thirsty, who are still thirsty after knowing the law, come to me, and whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, rivers of living water will flow from within you. He was saying, you know the law, and you obey the law, and you trust the law, and you love the law, and that is a wonderful thing. But your soul is still thirsty, because the law cannot satisfy that inner thirst we have. He says to the religious people who should have got it, he said, you're still in need of the living water, a metaphor for what John later on describes as the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us the experience of transformation that the law intended. And John recalls this moment as Jesus declared this thirst, that, that he was offering on the cross what would make way for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would come upon the church and people's thirst would be quenched by knowing God through the Holy Spirit. So his words, I am thirsty, it sent a message of salvation to both the enemies of God and the people of God. Those who were enemies and those who were saved or thought they were saved, and maybe that's you today, maybe you're just thirsty, you love God, You've been following God. You've been obedient to God. And you've turned up today and you're like, I'm just thirsty. Jesus expects that. He says, I am a living water. Let me impart that to you. Let me quench your thirst. On the cross, Jesus paid the debt we owed because of our sin. And it cost him all his living water. It cost him everything. He was utterly poured out for those who had ran away from Jesus and those who had ran straight past Jesus. For the thirsty, Jesus offered everything he had that their thirst would be quenched. I don't know if you've ever been exceptionally thirsty. If you have, you'll be able to immediately recall it right now. That time when you're exceptionally thirsty, I, I have. It was with them, um, we took a group of kids to a place called Hanging Rock in Victoria. Picnic at Hanging Rock, we didn't do a repeat of that, it didn't end well. But we went to Hanging Rock, and when you go to Hanging Rock, you, you climb up a little bit of a walk, and you get to the rock, and you get to climb all over these massive boulders. It's very, very fun. The problem was that on this particular day, it was plus 40 degrees. It was extremely hot. There was no shelter at all, and after a couple of hours, I realised... I didn't have a drink. You know that moment when you realize you don't have a drink because you're thirsty? Ooh. I'm like, ah, it's fine. So I'm sweating, I'm continuing on, and, and then I start to get a headache. You know, when you get a headache after you haven't drunk, you're like, oh, this, that's not good news. And then you start to feel a bit queasy and a bit sick. And then stuff starts to go blurry. And you're like, oh, I need to sit down. This is, this is not good. So I managed to get from the top of the rock down to the bottom, and we're there with the youth group. Well, has anyone got a drink? Because all the cafes by this time had all closed up. And somebody says, I don't have a drink of water. I've got a drink of Red Bull energy drink. <laughs> now, I'm a lot wiser now than I used to be as a youth leader. And I went, oh, yes, please. They said, it's yours if you want it. And I grabbed this thing and I sculled it. Oh, just incredible. Thirst quenched. Gone. Amazing. What I didn't realize at the time 
that I now know is that Red Bull Energy Drink has very strong diuretic properties. And a diuretic sucks all the uh, salt and fluid moisture out of your body. So I went into this desperately thirsty for a drink, and that which I consumed made my situation infinitely worse. So if you get nothing out of today, just don't drink an energy drink when you're thirsty. Don't do it. I, I was sick as a dog for a long time because of this. When I was the thirstiest position I'd ever been, I quenched it with the very worst solution I could possibly find. You couldn't actually do anything more dumb than I did. Not possible. I have a lot of those situations in my life. But that's what happens when we look to the wrong source to quench our spiritual thirst. Spiritually speaking, we do it all the time and we wonder why our souls are so sick. This season, the Christian church is in is called Lent. Lent and letting go. It's in the lead up to Easter. Lent is ultimately about realigning ourselves with a thirst quencher. It's about tapping into the real source of living water, which is where fasting comes in. You see, fasting achieves this. Fasting trans translates or transfers or transforms a physical hunger or thirst into a spiritual one which is what the transformation trek will teach you. Learning the, practicing of, the practice of fasting will help you align your life with Jesus. Now, has anyone experienced prolonged fasting, not for medical reasons? Oh, yeah, a couple. Oh, we're in for a treat leading up to Easter, aren't we? <laughs> You're looking very nervous. It's okay. <laughs> Over the years, I've done a couple of five-day fasts. But it's hard work. It's hard work. This current season I'm in, I've built fasting into my weekly rhythm. Fasting is so powerful because it creates a physical hunger which can be converted into a spiritual one. So what Jesus, when Jesus cries, I'm thirsty. Sure, he was thirsty, but he was declaring that not only do I have this physical thirst, I have a spiritual thirst that what I am doing on the cross will be understood and taken on board by everybody in all the future of humanity that is to come. He was so thirsty that people would see what was happening and take that on board, would drink from his living water. And as we enter into fasting, what it does is it aligns us with what Jesus was doing on the cross. So my question is this Lent, what will you fast? What will you fast? If your soul is seeking for more alignment to what Jesus did for you, you need to consider fasting. If you are hungry for encountering the presence of God more intensely or more often, you need to consider fasting. If today you've realized that you're not perhaps the enemy of God that you thought you were, fasting is a wonderful way to draw you out of that space and into the presence of God. So what will you fast? Do not fast water. Don't do it, ever, for any reason. Don't fast water. But it may be food, or coffee, or alcohol, or TV, or sugar, or technology, or social media, or the television, or a whole host of other things that might be relevant for you 
that are currently distracting you and taking you away from seeing clearly and being impacted clearly by what Jesus did on the cross for you. The Transformation Trek is a, is a handbook. It helps you do that. And I'd encourage you to sit down with your, your spouse or your partner, with maybe your kids, if you're a parent with kids, with friends over coffee. You might be sitting here this morning and thinking about this and thinking, there's somebody else here. I know who it is. I need to go up and ask. Can we sit down and look at this together? If there's someone here that you need to speak to, I'm sure they would welcome the opportunity to sit with you and work through this with them and with you. What will you fast in order to align yourself to what Jesus did for you? We're about to feast in communion. It's just no accident that God chooses to meet with us and meet with the entire history of the church through things that satisfy our, our, our physical. Because as we are satisfied in our physical, we are satisfied through this bread and this cup in the spiritual. It's this beautiful nuance that Jesus leads us into. And so I would encourage you as we partake in this, for you to ask God, how do I align myself? What do you need me to do? What do you need me to do to align myself? And I'm just going to try and, and be obedient to that. So let's pray. Lord, we're here today because we want more of you. We want to align ourselves to you. We want to see unhindered the power of what you did on the cross for us. We want it to become ours. And Lord, we are each different. But speak to us, especially as we dine with you and we meet with you. Speak to us about the things you want to speak to us about. Heal us and encourage us. Give us peace and strength. Give us courage and bravery. Give us wisdom and knowledge, Lord. That as we implement these things, we would align ourselves with what you did for us on the cross. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen.